Sacramento. And the article begins, Five harrowing days after becoming stuck on a remote backcountry road in Death Valley National Park in August 2009, Alicia Sanchez lay down next to her Jeep Cherokee and prepared to die. And then she heard a voice. It's what many of the rangers, the park rangers, are beginning to call death by GPS. People are renting vehicles with GPS and have no idea how it works, and they're willing to trust the GPS to lead them into the middle of nowhere. It's important for people to know that only a tiny portion of Death Valley has cell phone reception. GPS units are not only fallible, but send people across the deserts where no road exists. Over the past 15 years, at least a dozen people have died in Death Valley from heat-related illnesses as a result of poor GPS tracking. These are not just stories of unimaginable suffering. They're reminders that even with a growing suite of digital devices at our side, technology cannot guarantee survival in the wild. Worse, it is giving many a false sense of security and luring some into danger and death. It's not without effort on the park ranger's part. The the park spells out the dangers of heat and dehydration and special warnings distributed to visitors each summer. It's installed 49 new wayside exhibits around the park that include heat and desert survival warnings. Allie writes, We want people to enjoy their wildlands, but we want them to have the tools and information to do it safely. Increasingly, park rangers say tourists are being led into danger by technology, especially satellite-based GPS units designed to guide them in unfamiliar destinations along a network of roads with a navigation database. In Death Valley, many roads shown on some GPS systems are no longer passable. Some have been officially closed for over 40 years. Others are simply too rough for most vehicles to pose serious danger. But they say the problem is people are so reliant on their GPS, they fail Listen to this. They fail to look out the windshield and make wise decisions based on what they're seeing. A lot of people don't realize you should just turn around and go back the way you came. And the story goes on. Um, It ends by saying this. Park rangers say that more reliable than GPS would be a good map, a compass, and plenty of water. Had any of these poor souls had them, tragedy could have been averted. So we come into our study of Proverbs today talking about two paths. And there are some similarities in this story. These people had every reason to assume they were heading in the right direction. All were blindly unaware of where their paths would lead. No one would have taken the path had they known it would have ended in death. But we see the problem was faulty 
directional systems. A blind trust in devices that can lead astray. Even when the obvious warning signs were everywhere around them. Rangers and maps would have revealed the folly, but proper measures were not taken to consult a wise path. And this is what we find in the Proverbs today, that that there are paths that we can take that are healthy or destructive. But we too have faulty navigational systems known as the human heart. It cannot be trusted. And even though we may think we're heading in the right direction, our hearts can lead us astray. And so this man, the King Solomon, the wisest king who ever lived, is is appealing to his son to get wisdom. And to, to follow a path that is proven. A path that we see in verse 3 was handed down by his father, King David. One who had himself, through his covenant with God, been led, as we heard from Psalm 23, um, in, in paths by still waters. God took care of David. And David showed this way to his son Solomon. And now, this third generation... Solomon is reaching into his son's life and saying, follow this way. Don't turn from it. So I want to look at just about nine verses here. We'll, we'll look at some of the other context, but for our sake of time and for our purposes today, I want to look at verses 10 through 19. I'm going to read those to you. This is God's word to us. It says, hear my son and accept my words that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked. And do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it and do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. And they are robbed of sleep unless they, have some, if they, unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. It shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. So here we find this father appealing to his child to consider the path of wisdom. Wisdom has called out. We heard last week there's a voice of wisdom calling out. And and this father appeals to his son to hear the voice and to, to, to go down a path that leads to life. And this imagery of this path are... The choices that we make in life, is, choices are like footsteps that we, we make to, to, to end at a particular destination. And as humans, we make choices that take us down roads. And there are only two places those paths lead, either to destruction or to life. And yet our hearts 
will navigate us to inappropriate places. And so Solomon's appeal here is to, to choose wisdom. And he paints a picture of the landscape of this, of this deadly path of folly. He wants his, his child to see that this is a significant problem. In verse 14 he says, Do not enter the path of the wicked. Don't walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Don't go on it. Turn away from it. Pass on. And listen to what he says. He, he paints a picture of how they are. For they cannot sleep unless they've done wrong. They're robbed of sleep unless they cause someone to stumble. They eat the bread of wickedness. They drink the wine of violence. The way of the wicked, verse 19, is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. They're they are in such darkness and, and in this this pathless folly that they they stumble around not even knowing what they're stumbling on because they're just they're so overwhelmed by darkness and everything around them. And he says, don't go this way. And and we find not only in this picture, but in the broader scope of the Bible that, that there's a progressive power to evil. When we make consistent choices in a direction on a path towards destruction. There is a progressive power to evil. I don't, I don't think these people on this path of evil just first day on the job were not sleeping till they caused someone to stumble and were eating and drinking wickedness and, and violence. These began with steps earlier on their journey. Things go from bad to worse. And yet, as, as humans, like those drivers in Death Valley, we, we, we lose our sense of reason. We get so far down the road, we know it's not a good place, and yet we don't turn around. We feel like we've come so far, surely we'll get out of our predicament. Surely we'll arrive at our destination if we just keep going. And the heart continues to take us into deeper and deeper darkness. And it, it begins with small choices. And as Tom shared on his video, it's it's the small things that matter. And our hearts have this orientation towards happiness and pleasure and purpose and meaning. And we think that we know where to find it and, and we follow our our hearts to places where it can't be found. And it starts small and somewhat innocent. For example, if a young girl's heart convinced her that the path of true life comes from being loved by someone. And yet she fumbles through middle school and high school and, and doesn't find the one. And so she lowers her standards. She begins to hang out with the wrong crowd and she finds a man who begins to push her boundaries into promiscuity. And this small choice of acceptance, this heart navigating her to be loved by a man drives her into a place that's not true love. And there's promiscuity and pregnancy. And it's all been hidden. 
And she's been comfortable with secrets. Now there's a choice if she should take a life to keep her secrets. And it all began with a desire for a boyfriend. They're baby steps that lead down dark paths. Maybe a young man in school who wrestles with stress management and so instead of studying for exams, he plays video games or he watches Netflix. And again, partially innocent. But he's coping with stress and with responsibility, and he lacks discipline. As he gets older and gets married and has kids, the, the pressure mounts. And he's beyond those superficial ways of coping with his problems. And so he comes home and he pours a drink. And one becomes two. And two become three. And his wife confronts him about it. And it creates conflict. And now there's relational distance. And so intimacy breaks down. And so he goes to other pathways. He begins to view pornography. And he gets to a place where he's counting down the hours when he can clock out of work to have his first drink. And he destroys his life. He loses his, his job. He loses his license. He loses his marriage. It all started with these small choices. And the heart's navigation system is, is broken. And it takes him down a road of destruction. But this is not the path of wisdom. And like the park rangers in Death Valley, Lady Wisdom calls out. She makes her appeal to us to consider our path and to turn. Her voice cries out, oh, sin is fun, but it's fleeting. Yes, it's captivating, but it will cost your life. Don't trust in your faulty directional device. It will kill you. Heed my warning. Spare yourselves. You're headed towards deep darkness. You will get entangled. There is no escape on that path. Beware. And this father's appealing to his son to consider Lady Wisdom's ways. To walk on this path. Because you can't trust your heart to take you to the right place. We began this series with the words from chapter 1 of, of the beginning of wisdom uh, being the fear of the Lord. And I think a, a backside of that coin is not just fearing who God is and, 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 and what He's done and, and how we will answer to Him and having a healthy reverence for that. But, but on the backside, I think it's a healthy fear of realizing the deep darkness we face when we walk away from Him. And there's a, a clinging to Him. There's a desire to draw close out of fear of falling away. Out of fear of falling into folly. It's a healthy fear of fatal destinations. 
sobering realization that any path we take that's not set out by Lady Wisdom has the progressive power to take us into deep darkness. And so there's an appeal, but, but here's the problem. If our hearts are broken and they're what guide us, how do we change? I think there's a, a hint in verse 33. He says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. So the heart is recognized here as where life comes out of, and yet we see in humanity that, that, that it orients and draws us towards death. And so what, what do we do? And when we look at the rest of the scriptures, we see that we need a fundamental heart change. Our heart has to be recalibrated. The promise of God's people in the Old Testament in the, in the new covenant is that God would take out our hard hearts and give us a heart of flesh. He would, he would transform our hearts. He would renew our hearts. That we could have a, a, a guidance system that would aim us in the right direction. And this is what we know as the miracle of regeneration. This is being born again. It's not just trying harder. We can't just memorize Proverbs or, or do good things. It, it's, it's realizing that we have to have a fundamental heart change and, and everything has to flow out of the heart. Thomas Chalmers, who's an old dead guy, wrote an article called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. Basically what he's arguing there is you can't just muster up enough energy to change. You've got to have a beauty that's more beautiful than what you're currently chasing. I'll give you an example. Admiral William McRaven wrote a book called Make Your Bed. He was a, uh, 35 years in the Navy SEALs. Uh, he was a SEALs instructor. But when he went through Navy SEALs training, when he was at the BUDS training, um, they have a horrific week prior to graduation, where they basically run a full week without sleep, heavy exertion, um, and it is, it is designed and built to mentally break you down. And it, it clears the table from anyone who is not totally 100% committed that I will die before I give up. And it's meant to break you. It's meant to make you throw in the towel and give up. And the hardest day, the third day, they were in what they called the Tijuana mud flats. And so they, they brought their boats in. It's freezing cold. And it's, it's clay that's the consistency of, of dense, wet clay. And they get in it neck deep. And they do maneuvers. And they do competitions. And you can barely move. It's absolutely exhausting. You haven't slept for three days. You've hardly eaten food. And they're freezing cold. The winds pick up to 20 miles an hour. Uh, night falls, the clouds cover, they're, they're, they're freezing. Joints are swelling. And the instructors are over in the distance at a bonfire, sipping on hot coffee and warm chicken noodle soup. 
And one of the instructors comes over with a bullhorn and he says, Hey guys, good work. You guys have been working hard. Why don't you come over here and get warm by the fire? We got some hot coffee. We got some warm soup. You owe it to yourself. Come on, just give in. I tell you what, if five of you come, we'll give everybody else a break. The voice of folly calls to forfeit everything that you've worked for. And so McRaven is, is down in the clay and the guy beside him, he feels his arm move and he grabs the guy's arm because he knows he's going and he jerks his arm away and he climbs out of the pit. And as he's climbing out in the distance in the dark, one of his platoon members begins to sing a battle cry. And his voice lifts higher and higher. Men who didn't even feel they had the energy to laugh are now joining in the singing. And it is so loud, they're at the top of their lungs and the whole platoon is singing. And this man crawling toward the fire, turns around and jumps back in. That's the expulsive power of a new affection. When you have set your heart on a destination and you've, you've gone down a path, but something becomes more precious to you than what you're pursuing. And this is what the Gospel does for us. As, as broken Systems as, as hearts that are oriented in the wrong direction when the, the light of the glory of Christ is revealed to us. It gives us a new affection. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it's the people on the foolish path, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case... This is what's happened. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds in unbelief. So they're blind. They can't see. They're in the dark because they, they don't have faith. And the enemy has done this to keep them, listen to this, to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Who is the image of God? For God who said, light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So God comes down to our dark hearts and says, light be. And He turns the light on and we see the glory of His majestic Son. And this is the expulsive power of the new affection. We, we begin to hate the things we used to love. We begin to love the things we used to hate. And this is an immediate miracle that comes by the regenerating work of the gospel. And this is the work God wants to do in all of us. This is what he does to the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. He comes to her and asks for water, and she's like, what are you asking me for water for? And he says, well, if you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for water because the water that I give, if you drink it, you'll never thirst again. Your heart will never take you to a place you don't need to go once you've drunk of me. And he wasn't talking about water. He knew she had been with five men and the one she was with wasn't her husband. 
And she's looking for love in all the wrong places. Her heart's taking her places that she doesn't need to be. A path of destruction. And and he says, come to the wise way. Drink of me. He says in in John 7 that um, all who believe in me, I will cause rivers of living water to flow out of their hearts. And the renewing work of the gospel brings this this bursting spring forward out of our hearts. And it replaces our old affections. It expels those old affections. It makes them leave. And just like this deep darkness has a progressive power of evil, this new work that we find in what God does in us also is progressive. Look at verse 18. But the path of the righteous... It's like the light of the dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until the full day. So, so Jesus Christ, the light of, of Christ comes into our heart, we see out of 2 Corinthians. And, and over time, the, the sun just gets lifted higher and higher and higher in our lives. And as the sun rises, it chases away darkness. Has the expulsive power to create new affections. And it, it begins to change us. We, we begin to, to, to not desire the things that we used to desire. And that's why Solomon appeals here that, that, that when this takes place, keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flows the spring of life. So protect that reality. God has given you a gift in the gospel. Protect. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of sight, of seeing. So how do we progress? We see this progressive power of us changing, expelling old affections. How do we cultivate new affections? How do we progressively partner with God in this process of being renewed? Let me, let me give you five ways. First is to get wisdom. We see that in verse 5 and verse 7. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget. Do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Verse 7. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Whatever you get, get insight. So we are called to, to gather wisdom. We are to be a people of God's book. Lady Wisdom is calling and we want to hear her voice. But it's not just studying the Bible. It's not just memorizing verses. It's meditating on the gospel. If, if, the, if the, the, the bright, glorious light of Jesus Christ is what shines in our heart, and if that's what dispels and expels old affections, we need to, to have an ever-growing discipline of, of having Him rise up in our hearts. That that morning star is rising to noonday to full display. So we want to constantly be meditating on the mercies of God and the grace of God that comes to us because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Because this is what has the expulsive effect to cast out old affections. Verse 25 says, let your eyes look directly forward, your gaze to be straight before you. We want a fixed focus 
on what God has done. Hebrews 12 says that, that keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Paul in Philippians 2 says that if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort in love, if there's any participation in the Spirit, if there's any compassion or sympathy, make my joy complete by being of the same mind. Have a, have a mindset that's gospel-focused. Looking for where there's encouragement in Christ and comfort and love. Looking for where God's working. And always being mindful of that. That will arrest your affections. It will cultivate your affections. And as we do, the morning star will arise in our hearts with expulsive power. It'll chase away darkness and illuminate the path of Lady Wisdom. Second, take wise steps to stay on the path. Take wise steps to stay on the path. We, we've been put on a path of wisdom because of what God's done. We want to stay on the path. So we want to make wise choices that get us down to the end of that path. We don't want to take steps off the path. So we want to be wise about our steps. So verse 25 to 27, let your eyes look directly forward. Gaze be straight. Ponder the path of your feet so all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. So as we glean from God's word and we, we gain wisdom, we also want to apply what we're learning. That's the true definition of, of wisdom. It's applying what we know. It's functional in its nature. James says, don't be like the person who goes and looks in the mirror and they have stuff on their face and they leave and they never get the stuff off their face. He said, that's, that's what people are like when you come to the Word and you just hear it and you don't do it. Why would you come and see something you need to change and leave unchanged? So we want to take steps in accordance with wisdom to keep ourselves on the path. Third, ponder your steps. Verse 26, ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. Here's a, here's a practice I would encourage you in. Take time out of your day to reflect on the choices you've made. So maybe at the end of the evening, just reflect back on your day, choices you made, actions you've taken. And then ask yourself why you took certain steps if they did not seem to be in accordance with wisdom. Why did I take that step? That was not wise. And ask, ask yourself that question. Ask yourself why you were tempted to take that path. Get down to the motivations of the heart that caused you to deviate from wisdom. And ask yourself why you're tempted to believe that happiness and fulfillment might have been at the end of that path. Because you're being deceived at that point. We, we, can, we can veer off the path. God puts us on the path, but we can veer off the path. And so we want to we reflect and say, man, why did I take that step? What was I believing? And, and that's an opportunity to, to let the morning star rise. Because what's happening is we're, we're, we're identifying lies that we're still believing 
and we're, we're, we're replacing it with truth. And we're realizing, no, that's not going to make me happy. That's not going to fulfill me because God's word says it won't. And so why am I going there? And, and we have a, a, an opportunity to apply truth to real-time situations. And it, it continues to give us an arresting love for Christ. We go to him for forgiveness. We cherish his mercy. We learn a little. A little bit more wisdom. So hopefully we don't step off the path in that same way again. And, 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 the, and the star continues to rise. Also say in that to cultivate humility by confessing your sin to God and to others. So when you find that you went off step. Cultivate humility. Humility is a, a real virtue in the scriptures and it protects us. And so tell God and tell, tell a friend. It's healthy and safe for us. Fourth, keep the end in mind. Keep the end in mind. Mo- Moses prayed in Psalm 90 verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. So considering your end... And even the, the destination at the end of the road you're on will, will, will help us gain wisdom. It'll help us progress in this way. Remind yourself of the destination your steps are leading you towards. So as you make choices, let, let passages like this inform you of where you're headed. Are your steps moving you towards deep darkness or towards growing illumination of the sun rising in your heart? Let Lady Wisdom be your guide. She cries out. She's there to protect you. Look at verses 6, 8, 9. Do not forsake her. She will keep you. Love her. She will guard you. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. She's there For our aid. She's there as a mercy from God. Fifth. Pray and ask God. For wisdom. Paul prays this in Ephesians 3. That people would comprehend with all the saints. What's the breadth, length, height, depth. And to know. The love of God that surpasses knowledge. So we're, we're, we're knowing things that surpass our ability to know. And, and we need that from God. That's a supernatural thing. And we, we ask God for that. That we might be filled with all the fullness of God. So we want to pray for wisdom. And, and wisdom, I'll, I'll end with this. Wisdom is a practical way of living that applies biblical principles where chapter and verse may not provide an answer. So you may not have chapter and verse for what you need. And you need wisdom. So you ask God for that kind of wisdom. Uh, Solomon is a great example of this. In 1 Kings 3, early in Solomon's kingship, there were two harlots that both had children within a week's time. One of the women was sleeping and rolled over on her child and the child suffocated and died. She found out in the middle of the night and she snuck into the other lady's room and changed out their children. So she took her baby, gave her her baby and went back to her room. 
And obviously the mom woke up in the morning and the baby was there. But it, she knew it was not her baby because she knows the baby's face. So they bring it before the king. And so Solomon is there. And they're saying, he said, she said, no, it's my baby, no, it's my baby. And he says, okay, I'll settle this. Bring me a sword. I'll cut the baby in half and I'll give you each a portion. Obviously, he wasn't going to do that. But verse 26 of that chapter says, the mother's heart yearned for her son. She had her heart oriented toward her son. And and Solomon in his wisdom knew that. He knew that that no mother is going to let their son die. And so the one who said, no, just let her have him, she said, okay. He said, okay, that's mine. And he threw the other lady out. But he didn't have chapter and verse for that. It wasn't something that he could just go and, and find. That was, that was divine wisdom. And it says in verse 28 that everyone stood in awe of the king and the wisdom that God gave him to execute justice. And in a similar way, our king, the true king, because he chose to set his heart on us, and didn't want those who would one day be his children to die, he was willing to sacrifice. But in our case, someone had to die. And so, someone had to pay for the penalty of our folly. Of us going down the path of destruction. So Jesus himself walked the road that led to deep darkness. So that we could be placed on a path that leads to life. And in God's mercy, he gave that. To us, a gift of grace, God's infinite wisdom on display, Jesus Himself given on our behalf to set us on a path of life. And He wants that mercy and that love and that grace to have an expulsive power in our lives to keep us on the right road. As we look at Him, we want our hearts to be changed, our directions will be changed, our loves will be changed to empower us to walk on a path. He's set before us as an example. And He calls us to follow Him to a destination.